0: Welcome to In Focus, a podcast from Cronkite News. I'm your host, Taya Francesca Price. In 2016, almost 10,000 people were homeless in the state of Arizona. And of that number, 589 were youth living alone on the streets. I just kept finding myself in trouble, like doing more drugs and like doing more drinking and partying. Later in the show, we'll hear about the LGBT community, a group that is disproportionately represented amongst homeless youth. But first, we'll hear from another group of homeless individuals facing unique challenges, pregnant women.
1: Here I am, eight months pregnant, who's going to hire me, you know?
0: According to an article published in the Maternal and Child Health Journal, approximately 10% of homeless women are pregnant, which is much higher than the percentage of low-income housed American women. Cronkite news reporter Brooke Ramos brings us the story of one woman who found herself pregnant and homeless in Phoenix.
2: Jamie Tafoya is a mother of five from Long Beach, California. She moved to Phoenix in 2013, but her transition to this new place didn't go as smoothly as she had hoped it would.
1: I was dealing with methamphetamine um, addiction, which I had been struggling with for the past 19 years. So I had been already dealing with that issue for the last 19 years of my life, which is tough.
2: Jamie wasn't just battling her addiction to methamphetamine. Two days after moving to Phoenix, she was arrested and placed in prison for six months after being charged with two counts of forgery, but her struggle didn't end there.
1: I found myself pregnant. Um, It wasn't my first time. Um, It was actually my fifth time, but pretty much a lot of the same circumstances, you know, homelessness, um, my addiction.
2: For people living on the street, access to health care is already challenging, So it comes as no surprise that being homeless and pregnant has many risks. Homeless women are at a higher risk for a number of things, like preterm births and low birth weight babies, according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Jamie was 36 at the time and had been on the streets for two years. A couple of years before moving to Arizona, she dealt with CPS, Child Protective Services, but she wouldn't say anything more specific than that. Jamie's four other children were all living back in California, three of whom she is still in touch with. But having moved to a new place, she had no one to call and no place
1: to go. I was literally sitting on the corner with my duffel bag, um, on 7th Street in Thomas. And this lady drove by in her little wheelchair and saw me just crying and um told me like do you do you need to do you need to come out? Like, can I help you? So she brought me to her house um, to use the phone to try to find uh, somewhere to go, homeless shelter or whatever. And um, another person there at that apartment was kind of dealing with some CPS issues, and she had mentioned Maggie's Place then. And so that's where I just heard, just heard of it.
2: Maggie's Place is a nonprofit organization with homes in the Phoenix area for pregnant women and women with kids. All moms that are applying to live there have to meet a few requirements. They need to be 18 or over, at least 30 days clean and sober from substance abuse, and they can't be in any current danger, running from any immediate domestic violence, and can't have any serious mental health diagnosis. But the requirement to be sober for at least 30 days was one that was challenging for Jamie.
1: It wasn't until probably, I want to say, three or four months later that, um, I finally got sober on my own and, um, was at a halfway house and had even access to a phone on it. Cause so you have to call then you had to call like Tuesday morning at 9am. And so like when you're homeless and on the street, it's hard to come by a phone at that time on that day. So when I was in the halfway house, I had those resources, um, just a phone and, um, I called and and they were like, yeah, can you come in and interview? And I was like, kind of shocked at first, like, like this can't be happening. Like they call it, I think they called it an interview. And I was like, no way am I going to pass an interview. I'm like, I got too many negative things against me to pass any interview. Um, And then it was just weird. We met at a uh, Burger King and they just, they offered to buy me lunch and asked me all these questions and references, um, like people to call and um I still thought so because then after that there was like gonna be one more phone one more call back to talk one more time and they called me and I'm like they're never gonna call me back but they did and um then they when I met with them that next time they were like all right do you want to go get your stuff and I'm like what you're gonna give me a ride I don't have to carry my duffel bag on the bus no more it was really cool
2: Tia Westoff, house manager at an affiliated home in Glendale, says Maggie's Place tries to offer pregnant women what they need to get back on their feet. Our moms uh, have a lot of uh, good resources at their disposal. We have a family coach who comes into the home every other week uh, and really talks with them about housing, about jobs, um, about different resources that are available in the community. We also uh, try to Um, have them participate in classes
1: at FIAT, our Moms Outreach Center, that connect them with other moms and connect them with more outside resources. And then, yeah, from there, you know, being in the houses, you have to um, be productive. You know, you still have to be productive with, you know, obtaining goals and doing better and being able to provide for yourself in the future. So um, I would job search, even though I knew that like here I am eight months pregnant who's gonna hire me you know but it just kept me going it kept me learning how to job search learning how to just wake up in the morning and that's what I did I looked for jobs for a couple hours on the internet I would even um, save ones I really liked so like afterwards I can revisit it and see if they were still hiring Tia says they turn
2: away mothers fleeing domestic violence circumstances in order to look out for the safety of the entire community she says the group refers women in these situations to a domestic violence hotline last year the national domestic violence hotline recorded 5050 contacts from the state of arizona more than 1700 of them mentioned children were involved and 97 specifically mentioned they were pregnant after jamie's son noah was born she began a job training program with maggie's thrift a nonprofit profit Maggie's Place that sells donated items and gives the proceeds to the associated homes. After completing the job training, Jamie was offered a part-time position, eventually the assistant manager position, and now she works as the manager.
1: You know, life's great, but there's still struggles. I mean, life's not perfect. There's bumps in the road, and but you just, you do the next right thing and you don't, that's easy for me to say. I'm a stress case when it comes to certain things. But, um, yeah, you know, I, he goes to daycare. Um, in the beginning, I would take the bus first to daycare, then get back on the bus and come to work. Um, now I've been able to get a little car, um, moving up a little bit. T.S. says 81% of moms
2: and babies who left Maggie's place in 2016 did not enter into any emergency shelters, motels, or go back onto the streets. Thirty-seven percent of moms who left Maggie's Place last year were employed or enrolled in school. But Maggie's Place isn't the only place pregnant women in search of shelter can go in the Phoenix area, and Maricopa County has created a program to streamline the process of finding resources. Since 2010, homelessness in Arizona has dropped by 30 percent, according to the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development. That puts us in the top 15 states for progress. Michael Trailer, the director of the Arizona Department of Housing, said the department cannot truly end homelessness. But the goal is to have the capacity to provide shelter and services to those in need.
0: According to the True Colors Fund, a nonprofit organization working to end homelessness for LGBTQ youth, of the general youth population identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. There are 1.6 million homeless youth each year, and researchers estimate that between 20 and 40% of them are LGBT. These young people face some challenges that are very different from other homeless populations, and in order to be able to discuss this further, I am joined by Cronkite News digital producer Emily Bally, who has been reporting on homeless LGBTQ youth here in Arizona. Hi, Emily. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So why are LGBT youths experiencing homelessness more than any other youth? Honestly, it's a really hard question to answer because
3: there are a lot of factors that go into it. A lot of the experts I've spoken to say that one of the biggest reasons LGBT youth are disproportionately homeless is because of the lack of acceptance from family members and they have a higher likelihood of rejection. Kristen Ferguson-Colvin, an associate professor at ASU's School of Social Work, has 23 years of experience working with and researching homeless youth. And she told me that LGBT young people have a higher risk level around family abuse, family rejection, and family violence. Once youth get into the situation, they'll leave home and either live on the streets or in a homeless shelter. The problem is that a lot of these shelters don't have the proper resources to serve this population. For a story I've been working on, I spoke to Sage, a 22-year-old transgender woman, and this is what she had to say about her experiences at a shelter.
0: A lot of the staff were trying to, like, pressure me into being a certain way, even though, like, I was pushing my way into the female side. I did get in the female side, but I don't think they had a lot of resources to, like, give me. And I was looking for a lot of them because, I mean, I was dating in the school and there just wasn't any resources for me. Like, I just kept finding myself in trouble, like, doing more drugs and, like, doing more drinking and partying, you know. So how prevalent is this issue here in Arizona? This is something that's really difficult
3: to gauge. Every year, the Maricopa Association of Governments conducts something called the point-in-time count. Hundreds of volunteers go around Maricopa County and survey homeless individuals to get a count of how many people are experiencing homelessness. This survey has included questions about gender identity and sexual orientation, but in recent years, the question about sexual orientation has been removed. This lack of data for several years makes it difficult to see if this problem is getting better or worse.
0: And so do you know why they removed the question about sexual orientation? Well,
3: that was a hurdle that I've dealt with while reporting on the topic. The Maricopa Association of Governments follows a template, and for the past several years, the template didn't include any questions relating to sexual orientation.
0: I wasn't really given an explanation other than that. I see. And so what resources are out there for LGBT youth at shelters, and are homeless shelters well enough equipped to deal with their specific needs? In Arizona, there is only one
3: LGBT-specific shelter through 1 in 10. Other shelters do their best to be inclusive, but they don't always have the specific resources LGBT youth need to survive and thrive. Some of the young people I spoke with told me about their experiences at other Arizona shelters and said it was difficult. 1 in 10's Promise of a New Day shelter program provides each resident with a single-unit apartment, basic living supplies, and other resources. Currently, 1 in 10's shelter houses 33 young adults, but there are many more that need help.
0: Well, thank you very much for your reporting. It's been very interesting to learn about. Thank you for having me. To read Emily's story and to learn more about this episode, you can visit our website, kronkitenewsazpbsorg slash podcast. There, you'll find information about the music used in this episode, in addition to links to our past stories. You can ensure that you never miss a new episode of In Focus by subscribing on iTunes or on SoundCloud. We'd really value any feedback that you have, so please reach out to us either on Twitter at Cronkite News or Facebook at Cronkite News Online, or fill out our feedback form on our website. In Focus is a production of Cronkite News at Arizona PBS from Arizona State University's The Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. I'm your host, Taya Francesca Price. Thanks for listening.